Oh, good morning, everybody. I'm going to start with a story. Uh, on June 30th, 1859, okay, we're going back here. Charles Blondin, he was a well-known French acrobat and tightrope walker, became the first man in history to walk on a tightrope across the Niagara Falls from the United States to Canada. I have some pictures of him. They didn't have digital back then. <clears throat> the tightrope was suspended 160 feet on one end and 270 on the other, above the raging waters of the falls. The tightrope had no safety harness or net. Some report that over 100,000 people gathered to watch him walk the 1,100 feet across the falls the very first time. Of course, the Niagara Walk made him exceptionally famous and made him wealthy, and people invited him to come and do crazy walks all over the world. He subsequently went on to do 17 walks over the Niagara Falls. But what he would do is each time he did it, he got a little bit more daring. He walked across the Niagara Falls on stilts. What? I know. He went across blindfolded. He went across riding a bicycle. And one of my favorite ones we have a picture of, he would stop in the middle to do tricks. He took on his back, there's another picture, he took on his back a little mini stove, and when he'd get to the center, he would stop and cook an omelet and eat it in the middle of the falls on the tightrope, people. I can barely stand still on both my feet on the ground. There's a chance I might fall over. Literally, he's balancing on that. And then there was a time where he crossed the Niagara Falls on a, pushing a wheelbarrow. So he got to the other side, and there was, a, there was a huge crowd waiting, and he said to the crowd, he said to a gentleman in the crowd, he said, do you think I can put a man in the wheelbarrow and push him across the Niagara Falls? And the man was like, yes, of course. We've seen you do everything. Yes, of course. And so Blondine said to the man, why don't you get in the wheelbarrow and I'll push you across. The man suddenly went, no, 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 that's, that's fine. See, what happened? What, why, did he, why did he change his answer? Well, see, the thing was, he believed that Blondine could do it, but he didn't have faith in Blondine that he could push him across. And see, this is the lesson we can learn from this. A lot of times we do this with God too. People think that, oh no, no, I believe, I believe, I believe in God, I believe. But do you really trust him? Do you really have faith? See, because belief is saying you're going to do something, but faith is the action of actually doing it. It's actually getting in the wheelbarrow and being pushed across the tightrope, okay? So I have a question is, do we really trust God? A lot of people say we believe, I believe, I believe, but do you really, really trust God? Who do you trust is the question. Are you fully convinced? I'm going to read a story today, one of my favorite stories from Daniel. Before we put up the scripture, I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory on what's happening in the story. Um, around 600 BC, the king of Babylon takes Israel captive. 
And what he does is he takes a few of the royal people hostage at the time, and with them, uh, and they are going to serve in, his, in their courts, and with them he takes Daniel and the three Hebrew boys. They were most likely teenagers at this point, and he changes their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then these four were given training and education so that they could serve in the king's court. They, well, these, they turned out that they excelled in what they did. They were very smart, very wise. God gave them favor. And so, especially after David, uh, Daniel, excuse me, Daniel interpreted the king's dream. Now the king promoted them to positions of administration and rule in Babylon. Well, a little while later, the king decides to build himself a huge golden statue image of himself, huge. And what he says is all of the people in the nation have to bow down and worship this golden image. Of course, the three Hebrew boys are still worshiping God of Israel and have been serving the God of Israel. So they're obviously not going to bow. And the big assembly is called, all the people are there, the music plays and the Everybody bows, and these three Hebrew boys, there they stand, not bowing. So this is, of course, huge disobedience, and they, they, the, the king, they get called out in front of the king. Now, even though the king is fond of them, he's furious, okay? He's like, no, I'm going to give you one more chance. So this is where we pick up the reading in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue. I have made, and when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, you are to bow. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Okay, this is like a real huge fire he's got there. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from that burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will never serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage, and he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And what happens is the story, if you keep reading, he, the guards that go and throw them in the fire, the guards fall down dead because the fire was so hot. Okay, just so you know how hot it is. And we'll keep reading. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and explained to his advisors, didn't we throw three men tied up into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar says, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of God. So the king commands them to come out of the fire. And when they walk out, they are unharmed. The scripture says, verse 27, not a hair on their hair was singed. And their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. So their body was not harmed. Their belongings was not touched. And they didn't even smell of smoke. 
The king declares that no one is ever to speak badly about the God of Israel because no God can save like he can. Amen? I love this story. Don't you love this story? It's like the three boys and there's like an evil king and it's like bow and they're like no and there's a fire and then there's God, you know, and it's not just like saving them, but it's like, let's save the whole nation. Never can speak bad about God. It's like, yes, this is such a great story, isn't it? I love these stories in the Bible, but you know, I just want to take a moment and have a look a little bit closer at what's going on in this story. Because these three boys, for their faith, because they took a stand in believing in God, trusting God, they're about to get thrown into a fiery furnace. They are facing a real furnace. Now, I don't know if you can relate to this in your life. Not that I'm expecting any of you facing a real furnace. But sometimes life can feel like you are facing a furnace. You've got financial problems. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's family or relational issues. And you're facing this furnace and, and you're standing and you're, and you're believing in God. And just when you think there's going to be a breakthrough, the furnace gets heated seven times hotter. You've already lost your job and now you crash your car. You're already dealing with sickness in your body and now your best friend betrays you. It just seems like it's getting hotter. Am I alone? And in this moment, I'm going to ask you, who do you trust? Who do you trust? I want to highlight some truths that we can learn from these young men and apply it to our lives. Let's look at what they said first in verse 17. It says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. Notice that they said, serve. The God we serve. Not the God we believe in or the God we've heard about at church on Sunday. No, the God we serve. They were willing to die because they had served God. See, I think this is an aspect of our journey of walking with the Lord that gets a little lost in today's culture of preaching. Because there's a lot about, you know, God is our Savior. He loves us. He's your friend. And yes, yes, yes to all of those. But He is also almighty, all-powerful, clothed in glory, majestic King. He is a king. And you know what a king deserves and demands? Your service. Because he is a good king. He is the gooder of goodests. He is gooder than you could possibly think, imagine, or believe. He is good. And guess what? He demands, but he deserves your service. And see, when you, when you begin to know God and you begin to serve Him and love Him, what happens is you develop an awe of who He is. And you develop a holy fear of God. Because you realize who it is you're worshiping and who it is you're serving. There's a holy fear that comes on you. Unfortunately today, most people fear death more than they fear God. 
People are doing all kinds of things not to die. And of course, none, none of us really want to, you know. Probably because we don't know how fantastic heaven is. We might not fight so hard. Because as believers, the Bible says that the sting of death is taken away because of what Jesus did. As a believer, you should know that when this body perishes, and one day it will, nobody has yet, you know, still around 2,000 years later going, hey, look at me, I'm still here. No, everybody, death is coming. When, you're, when this body fails, as a believer, you have the confidence that, guess what? I instantly walk into eternity where Jesus literally is. Finally, you get to experience his overwhelming love, his joy, his peace, his fullness, everything, it's there. And so what I have developed is a holy fear of the Lord. And what that fear does is says, I will honor you. I will serve you. I will obey you above what man says. You know, I heard a preacher um, about a week ago say something when he was asked, and I thought it was such a great comment he made. He was asked a question about why God didn't do something for him. And he responded with, I don't know. God doesn't work for me. I work for him. God doesn't owe me an explanation. He's kind enough to a lot of times give me one, but he doesn't owe me an explanation. In fact, he doesn't owe me anything ever again other than Jesus. I owe him everything. What a great mindset. I loved what he wrote. And you know, we honor God by serving him. We serve him with our worship, with our words, with our adoration, with our gifts and our talents and our service because he is the king of all kings. Now watch what comes out of these boys' mouths next as they, they're facing imminent death, okay? It's for real. They say, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand O king notice the first thing they say is that he is able that's an understanding that god can that he is all-powerful he is the creator the uncreated creator he created everything he is able he can deliver you now watch what they say next and he will See, what happens is they switch from belief to faith. They switch from belief to knowing. They switch from their head to their heart. This is the part where you decree the goodness of God out loud because they know he will. They've had experience with him. This wasn't their first go around with trusting God. They had seen the goodness of God in their life. They had seen the deliverance of God already in their life. So they spoke from a place in their heart that says, I know my God and he will deliver me. If my dad says to me, I'll meet you tomorrow at two o'clock at the Starbucks, guess what? I'm going there at two o'clock tomorrow. If somebody calls me Monday morning and says, hey, can I meet you at two o'clock? I'm not going to be like, oh, I wonder if he's going to show up or should I make another, should I make plans or no, no, no. Why? Because I know that if my dad says two o'clock, he is going to be there at two o'clock. So from the heart, the mouth speaks. In my heart, I trust him. I know that he is going to take care of me. 
just like I know God's going to take care of me. This morning, our Sunday morning caregiver called me at 6 a.m. to say she's got a fever and a sore throat and a running nose. And my mom is healed from an autoimmune, so she can't be around anybody else that's sick at all. You understand? So immediately at 6 a.m., and I'm trying to find a caregiver. And I'm in my prayer time, and I just stopped, and I went, God, you, know, you knew what was going to happen. You've already got the answer. You're my provider. You always provide. So I thank you right now for providing a caregiver. And I began to text the only couple people I had, and then I asked God if he'd send the angels to wake them up. <laughs> and, of course, the one that did answer is Yadira, who always comes through for us. She is our regular Monday through Thursday caregiver, and I think one day we're going to find out that secretly she actually is an angel because she has come through so many times for us. At 6.30 in the morning, she answered that call and said, I'm coming. So thank you, Yadira. I appreciate you so much. I love you. Just in case you don't understand, there's no physical way my dad could get my mom up and do everything by himself, physically unable to, okay? So that's why it was eminent that she <coughs> was able to help us. So back to these, uh, back to the story. So these boys put their absolute trust in God when they spoke those words out. They knew in their heart, this wasn't like a, oh yeah, I mentally assent to it. They trusted him. And how does God respond? God responds to their trust in him. One of, the, one of the great scriptures, Psalm 91, we'll look at verse 9 first. It says, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil will overtake you. Verse 14, it says, because he loves me, says the Lord. So this is God speaking. He says, because you love me, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he puts his trust in my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Do you understand that this is your promise to you and I? If you love God and you trust in his name, you are unmoved in the name of Jesus. He said he will love you. He will rescue you. He will protect you. you he will answer you. He will be with you in trouble. He will deliver you. He will honor you and he'll give you long life. That's the kind of God we serve. He responded to their trust in him. God is waiting to see who is going to trust me above what they're dealing with. Who's going to put my word and my name above everything else? So the question is, who do you trust? Is your heart fully persuaded that God is who he says he is? That he will do what he's promised in his word? Is your heart fully persuaded? See, I think it's easy to stand. It's easy to stand and believe God and say, yes, I believe God when all your prayers have been answered. But can you trust again after you've faced defeat? After you encountered disappointment? After you've had to deal with what seems like your prayers weren't answered? Can you trust him 
again for that same thing. When that same problem comes up in a different way, a different healing, another financial breakthrough, something that you're depending on God for, can you trust Him again? Or are you going to let your circumstances around you change your view of God? See, God is not defined by your life. He's only defined by His Word. What's happened in your life does not change who God is or what the Word says about Him. He is only defined by His Word. You know, I don't... My family has been on a, a long, hard journey, as many of you know. And the last four years... Very difficult journey, and most of you only know a quarter of what we've stood through. So today I preach to you not as somebody who's preaching at you who doesn't understand, who hasn't dealt with the heartbreaks that this world brings at you. When you've had to look death in the face time and time again, I am faced with the question over the last years, who do I trust? You know, it's okay to have questions. Questions are okay. People are like, oh, but I've got questions. Does that mean I'm in doubt? No, the scripture says don't doubt in your heart. It doesn't say don't doubt in your mind. You're allowed to have questions. You're allowed to be like, you know what, God, I'm not sure I understand what's going on here. But don't let it creep into your heart. Don't turn your questions on God. Don't say, why God? Why did you let this happen? Why haven't you answered? Why? What you've done is you've turned your questions on him. And that doubt seeps into your heart. You can have questions in your mind. You can talk to God. He understands. But don't let that doubt creep into your heart. I decided long ago that I refuse to let my circumstances dictate the validity of the scriptures. God's word is true. He is good. He is the healer. He is the deliverer. He will do what he said he would do regardless if my life looks like it or not. He is not defined by my life. He's defined by the scriptures. One of my favorite people is, the, is Abraham, you know, the father of our faith, right? Abraham. And this is what the scripture says about Abraham. It says that Abraham was fully convinced that God would do what he promised. He was fully convinced. You know what that means? There was no talking him out of it. God said, look, you're going to have a kid. Abraham's pushing 100. It's not looking good. But Abraham is fully convinced. Nobody could talk it out of it. Nobody could talk him out of it. His friends came over and were like, hey, Abram, I've got to talk to you. Um, you're old. Okay. Sarah, whew, I'm trying to be nice, but she's old. Okay. I just want to show you something. Just look at the science. Science doesn't lie. Abraham could not be talked out of it. He could not be talked out of it. He could not be talked out of what God had promised him. But see, what happens today is there's a need in someone's life, and so they'll, they'll pray about it, and maybe they'll even come forward in the prayer line and get us to pray of them, and then they'll wait a week or, or, or maybe a month, and then when it doesn't happen in their timing, 
they give up that belief. Well, I guess God doesn't really provide. Or, or maybe God doesn't really heal, or maybe he just doesn't really want to heal me, or maybe I just didn't have enough faith, or maybe I don't have the formula quite right, or I'm just going to go to a different church that has a different doctrine. See, but what they miss out on is there is, when I was preparing this, there were so many scriptures for what I'm about to share, but I'm only picking one. But there were so many that talks about what happens when we stand through a trial. Tons of them. I'm just going to show you one. Why is it so important? What happens while we wait fully trusting God? Let's look at James chapter 1. Anybody else getting cold? Just me. I'm cold and I'm wearing a jacket. <clears throat> Sorry. Okay, let's look at what happens. James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm sorry, count it all what? Uh, have you seen my life right now? Uh, what part of that? Um, what part of that? Um, I, what part do you want me to count as joy? Like, I'm you want, uh, why do you want me, oh, okay, I'll keep reading. What do you mean? What's perseverance? Why do I even care? What is perseverance? Well, I looked it up. Perseverance means this, steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Steadfastness in doing something despite the difficulty or delay in achieving success. That is what you're developing. Another word for that is determination. Have you meet those people and you're like, man, that person is so determined to lose weight. They're like at the gym every day. You know what I mean? Well, that person is so determined to buy a new car. They're working like crazy. Determination. That, ah, oh, I'm going to get that. Another word for perseverance is staying power or stamina. <coughs> when, I was, um, when I was young, I was a track athlete. And there was this one off-season where my parents paid a little extra and took us to this professional coach. And what he did is he made us run further than my normal race. So I usually ran the 100 meters. He made me run 150. I usually ran the 150. He made me run the 200. So during the training, I had to continually run further, and I complained the entire time. Let me just tell you, it was not pretty. But why did he do this was because on the race day, when that gun went off, I ran right through the finish line and kept going and was like, oh, I'm done. Because I had energy to keep going and not die or finish before I crossed the finish line. He built in me perseverance and endurance and stamina so that I could be successful when it really counted. He built in me endurance and perseverance so that I did not give up before the victory. See, the training is difficult. It's developing that word we hate, stamina. But it's for a purpose. There is a more important race set in front of us. And you don't want to collapse 10 feet before the finish line. 
God wants you to get the victory when it counts. What does it look like to persevere in the kingdom of God? It means to keep your heart fully trusting God. Not being able to be moved or swayed by what anybody else says. But to be confident that what he said, he will do. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to rest in that. And he says then, when that prayer is answered, what you're going to be is you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know why? Because now your trust and your alliance has grown deeper in God. See, most people, when they start out believing in God, it's, 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 it's head knowledge. It's belief. Yep, yep, yep. I believe God heals. Yep, I believe he saves and delivers. And yep, yep, yep. And I believe that he's got direction for my life. Yep, yep, yep. But you don't actually, you don't actually really trust him until you're faced with a problem. Now is your choice. Now is the, the opportunity you get where the scripture says, prove and see that the will of God is good and perfect. See, you get to use it. That's the moment we go, whoa, I'm faced with a problem. I'm in a God. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a do what you said. I'm going to trust you that you're going to solve this problem. And then what happens is when that prayer is answered, what happens is it drops from your head to your heart. The first time that happens, you're like, whoa, God heard me. He cares. He loves me. Oh, my gosh, he provided. Did you hear? And you've got a testimony. You've got to tell me, and I'm so excited. And what's happened now, it's in your heart. And see, now you can't be talked out of it because what's happened is you used to know it, but now you've experienced it. Now you're telling people, oh my gosh, you've got it. You got to trust God. Oh, they got, you got a problem. Let me tell you what I did. God is good. He's going to come through for you. Now what are you doing? You're overcoming by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Now you're encouraging other people. Instead of depression, now you're sowing faith and encouragement to them. And now what's happening? God's using you and he's getting the glory. Amen. How cool is that? You have to use every time that little trial comes, you have to use it as a moment to say, God, I get to trust you in a deeper way. I get to go deeper with you, God. I get to persevere with you, God, because you're a good God. And I know that it doesn't matter what size this mountain is, I'm going to take it. But I know for some of you, maybe you're still standing right now. And you're still persevering. And you're like, Cindy, I feel like I'm in the furnace, though. When is he going to stop it? I feel like I'm in the fire. Why won't he put the fire out? But see, if you look at the story, God didn't stop the fire. He didn't quench the fire. The fire didn't even stop once he showed up. But what happened is his presence, the fire lost its ability to hurt them. Amen. See, you have his presence. Therefore, your fire has lost the ability to hurt you. Psalm 23, it says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Notice the scripture says you walk through it. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't stop in the middle to plant some flowers and make it all pretty. You walk through it. 
and he says, I will fear no evil. What does that mean? Evil was present. In the valley that you're walking through, evil is present. Evil is whispering in your ear, no, your child is lost for drugs forever. No, your business is about to go under. No, you are going to die. Guess what? Evil is present. But because the Lord is present, you do not have to fear it. You don't have to fear what's around you because He is with you. As I close, the last thing the Hebrew boys say, verse 18, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will never serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image you have set up. King, even if it doesn't go like we're believing, we will not bow. Even if God doesn't show up, like I think he should, we will not bow. Even if that person still dies, even if the company still goes under, even if those circumstances don't change like I, like I hoped, can you face the even if in your life? Can you face the even if in your life and say, my commitment to God is not based on what he will do for me. My commitment to God is based on what Jesus did for me. Even if that sickness doesn't go away, even if the financial ruin comes, even if everything goes wrong that you expected to go right, even if... I have chosen to say, I don't care, regardless of the struggle, regardless of the battle, regardless of the disappointment, nothing will steal my worship of God. See, what you don't realize is if your health issues or your financial issues or your relationship issues are controlling you, they're controlling your happiness, they're controlling your church attendance, they're controlling your giving. They're stealing your joy. Guess what? It's taken a place of worship in your life. About 10 days ago, Bill Johnson, a great, great man of God, his wife lost her, her battle with cancer and went to be with the Lord. And he preached a sermon three days later that if you want to hear one of the most remarkable, beautiful, humble messages you've ever heard, go listen to it. He said something in there that I'm going to kind of read so I don't mess it up. But basically he said this. He said, we will worship God for eternity. When we get to heaven, it's going to be love and joy and peace and holiness and goodness and we're just going to worship God for all eternity but it's only here on earth that we get the opportunity to worship through our pain and our grief it's only here on earth that you get to give him the most costly sacrifice of worship you can you come in through the church doors, your life feels like it's falling apart, you're in pain, your kids lost financially, whatever it is, but you come in with a smile on your face 
And when that music starts to play, you raise your hands and you worship with tears running down your face and you say, you're a good God and I love you. And you are the King of Kings, the creator, my defender, my rock, my shield, my salvation. I love you, God. I love you, God. Not because of anything else, but because I love you because you are the good God. I'm not crying because I want him to move on my circumstances. I'm worshiping him through my pain. Through the circumstances, through what the enemy throws at me, I choose you, God. God knows. He's not immune. He knows what you're going through. But he honors that costly sacrifice of worship you give him. He honors it. And it's only here on earth we get to do that. You have to get to a place where you say, even if, even if it doesn't work out like I thought it was supposed to, even if nothing in my life changes, I will not bow. I will not bow to my circumstances. I will not bow to what people say. I will not bow to what the world throws at me because my God is good. He is true. He is the one who said he will do what he said he would do. You have to get to a place where you worship God because of all he is and who he is. Like that song says, should I ever be abandoned? Should I ever be acclaimed? Should I ever be surrounded by the fire and the flame? There's a name I will remember. There's a name I will proclaim. Let it be Jesus. Let it be Jesus. Let it be Jesus. You don't focus on the miracle. You focus on the miracle maker because you know what? He is the healer. He is the deliverer. He is the king of kings. He is the provider. He is the great I am. And I've decided I will not bow. To answer the question, I trust him. Deep in my soul, I trust him. Because he is good. And he will do what he said he would do. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. I want you to just take this moment. Just close your eyes. Take this moment. Maybe as you're listening, you're like, oh, there's been moments where I, where I doubted. I let the doubt creep into my heart. Take this moment and just between you and God, just repent. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me, God, for doubting. Forgive me for letting go of you. Forgive me for letting go and how dare I have doubted you. Forgive me, God. Talk to God. Now turn your affection Leave behind the shame. Leave the shame. Don't let it condemn you one second more. Turn your affection towards God. Turn your adoration towards God. God, you're good. You gave Jesus. You're so good, God. You gave me Jesus. What more could I ask for? God, I glorify you. I worship you. Through it all, God. Through it all. It's all because of you. It's all you, Jesus. It's all you, God. It's all because of you. You're worthy. You're holy. You're magnificent. You're clothed in glory. You're radiant. 
You're the savior, the defender, the rock, the most beautiful one. God, you love us so much. God, I give you my all. I give you all my worship. I give you all my heart. I choose you, Jesus. I choose you, Jesus. I choose you, Jesus. Let it be Jesus. If you've never made that commitment to God, you're like, I'm not sure if I, if I know him like you know him. But I want to. I want to know that God that you're talking about that you would give up your life for. I want to know him. And I just want you to raise your hand wherever you are and I'm going to pray with you. Because God gave his son Jesus for one reason only. That he could save you. And he could get to know you and you could spend eternity with him starting today. That word saved means saved, healed, and delivered. So he does want to do all those things in your life for you. But he wants you to make him Lord. And it starts with an acknowledgement of, I'm tired of doing this alone. I want to know what it means to be a new creature, a new creation, get a fresh start with the King of Kings. So if that's you, raise your hand wherever you are, and I'm going to pray with you. If I could have my ministry team come forward. We're going to dismiss the service, but if you, if you need prayer for anything, anything, maybe you're still standing and you need somebody to stand with you in faith for that healing or that deliverance or, or direction in your life or Holy Spirit, or maybe you will have more questions about following Jesus. I want you to come down to anybody of our, our ministry team down front as we dismiss the service. Laura is going to help me over here with Bible college. If you're interested in coming to Bible college, come down and see us. We can answer those questions for you. Thank you for coming out. Trust God. Thank you, guys.